0: This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. It's not every day that you get to chat with somebody that Forbes recognizes the world's premier expert on women's leadership, but today I get to. Sally Helgeson, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Michael. Great to have you here. Uh, you wrote a book, uh, How Women Rise, and obviously you've, you've done other things as well, but uh, today ideally you know, want to focus a little bit on, on, on this book and Um, You know, one of the comments that, you know, I hear time and time again about it and makes perfect sense is how practical the book is, you know, where people can um, grab the book and get a real good glimpse as to where they are currently in their career and their life with practical steps on how to uh, proceed accordingly for them to get to where they want to be. So, uh, you know, what inspired you to write the book and, you know, what was it like and, you know, what's some of the feedback that you're getting so far?
1: Oh, okay. Well, first of all, what inspired me to write the book, and my, I want to point out that my co- co-author is uh, Marshall Goldsmith, the uh, the legendary executive coach. And uh, it was really uh, reading Marshall's book, uh, the 2010 book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, about the behaviors most likely to get in the way of successful people that inspired this book. I was working with some of uh, Marshall's concepts about uh, intentional development of your career in the workshops I do. And I want to point out, I've been doing uh, women's leadership workshops and inclusive leadership workshops all around the world for the last 30 years. Uh, But I was working with that material and it was very clear to me that although the template, the underlying idea of Marshall's book is brilliant. And that is the habits and behaviors that get you to a certain level uh, in your career then can become problematic as you seek to rise higher. And yet you're invested in them because you know that uh, some of your success comes as a result of those behaviors and habits. It's a brilliant idea. Um, but some, not all, but some of the behaviors did not seem particularly um, Uh, problematic for women, you know, for one, one of the behaviors he has, for example, is um, learn to apologize. And I thought, well, you know, (laughs) women have uh, an issue apologizing too much, you know, open a door and the first words are, I'm sorry. Uh, So I, there were a number of things like that. And I thought, you know, this, this is such a great concept, but wouldn't it be great to do a book where focused on the habits and behaviors most likely to get in the way of successful women because they're often distinctive for a number of reasons. Uh, So I approached Marshall, who'd been a friend and colleague at that point about 25 years, and said, I I really think we should do this together. And he said, I love it. So that was the genesis of the book. And uh, we were able to draw on this uh, rich archive of experiences I've had doing these workshops, as well as his uh, coaching experience, which is vast, and his coaching template, which I think is one of the reasons that people are finding the book to be so practical.
0: Yeah, when you you can collaborate with somebody that is you know like yourself, you know, a legend in this leadership space, and when you can have two of these legends come together, um, it it creates something that is uh, a world changer of a book, and uh, you know even even though it's, you know, it's, it's geared towards women, you know, there are definitely lessons that us gentlemen can follow and learn from, um, you know, through, you know, throughout the book. And it's, um, it's, it's one of those things where you, in, in me reading it, you know, there was a lot of, you know, aha moments in there. And, you know, you know, I recommend, you know, people that are either in leadership a long time or, you know, new leaders. It's like, okay, you know, you, you definitely want to, you know, follow these individuals and hear what they have to say because, number one, you've lived it, you've breathed it, you you've ate it, you've done everything, um, but you've also you know been you know across the globe and, and and see you know how you know different countries are doing things when it comes to to leadership and how you know women uh, rise through you know the ranks and 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 combat you know you know some of the challenges that uh, we continue to see even though you know it's almost twenty twenty and. As I, we said in the pre-show, you know, we still have to have these conversations because that nice. hasn't been corrected.
1: <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, it's, it, I'm really glad you brought up that point about the book being useful for men because that's been one of the really gratifying things here is that response. Um, what I find, uh, for example, I, you know, for years I've done these workshops and often the client will say, oh, there are going to be men there. About 20% of the people there will be men. They're no man, or they're four men, or whatever. Um, but that's no longer true. Men really come to these programs about women's development with an idea of what can I learn? Um, how can I be a better mentor, sponsor, colleague, peer, boss, employee? Um, to the women leaders that, and aspiring women leaders that I work with. So there's a lot of interest. I, I did a, a construction super conference out in Las Vegas last winter. And, um, you know, people kept saying, well, it's construction, there's going to be a lot of men. And I'm going in my mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I show up there about 65% men in this women's leadership uh, program that I was doing. And that's what they wanted to know. They give us some concrete, don't try to prove to us that we need to get better at, at engaging women and inspiring women and helping women develop their full potential. We buy that. This is a construction industry. Uh, it said, But give us some concrete hands-on advice for how we can get better at it. And one of the things that they perceived of as very helpful was understanding the, the behaviors and habits that did get in women's ways, which was the theme of the book.
0: One of the greatest things and lessons that I've learned in my life, and it's something that I always remind people to do is, and it sounds like, especially in that conference and in the other experiences you mentioned, is seek to understand. And I think a lot of us think, well, you know, this is how it's been done. You know, we we follow the leadership of whomever you know each of us you know have had our mentors or bosses that we've had in our career and we emulate some of their behaviors some of us that are more in tune with the leadership space your research you know you know several authors and people to see you know okay what are they doing what you know how can i become a better leader for for the people that i'm serving and the community i'm serving and the business that i that i assist and 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 whatnot again, with the, the ultimate goal is to understand what they need. And, and those needs change over time. And you would mentioned that you know, you've been in this space for uh, over three decades. And I'd be curious to see, you know, what have you seen that has improved since when you started? And, you know, what are some of the things that um, you're not seeing the improvement that you really wish you could?
1: Oh, a wonderful question. The uh, first question I'll take first: what do I see that's improved? What I see that is improved is basically three areas. First of all, women have a lot more confidence and determination in terms of their own skills, and I say that broadly. Um, much more, much greater belief that what they bring to the table is, especially given this fast-changing environment that puts such an emphasis on teamwork and innovation, that they have a lot of what is needed in terms of leadership skills. So I see a real coming in, women feeling a lot of uh, confidence and empowerment over that recognition. The second thing that I see is what we just touched on is much more interest among men and in organizations of really supporting women's skills. You know, 30 years ago, there was just starting these sort of women's internal women's networks. You know, the idea was often, you know, let's let's give them a few dollars to have a brown bag lunch every. Other month and you know talk about whatever they want to talk about there was very little support there was very little money put into it um, and what there was was just sort of rah-rah and not a focus on hands-on and skills so uh, that has really changed there's much more uh, investment in organizations um, not across the board, but generally, and this is true globally in really developing women 's talents, I think that the, the the recognition that that the maximization and full engage hearts and minds engagement of human talent is what every organization needs to survive now, and that is going to be you know, require the biggest possible talent base to draw from. So I think that that, that commitment and the part of organizations and and the buy-in from men has been an enormous change that I have watched. And the third thing that I've seen uh, that has improved is the solidarity among women. Um, and I think, in you know, it, it, it has its pl- uh, positive and, and problematic manifestations, but... Me Too is an example of that, but, you know, even up to 15, 20 years ago, when you'd have these large internal conferences in an organization for women, the senior women wouldn't really want usually or often anything to do with it. They would feel that it was going to identify, that an involvement with that was going to identify them as just a woman or focused on women's issues. Um, And it was not not something that they felt was going to be to a career advantage for them. Uh, so there was very little solidarity in terms of that, in terms of support from senior women for programs that looked at the development of women broadly. Uh, and that has changed dramatically. Uh, senior, The most senior women in organizations are are tend to be great champions, highly visible champions, and see it as something that, uh, not only speaks to that to, uh, to their heart and their aspiration and their values but also is going to be a career builder for them so that solidarity that women feel is i think quite quite new and as i said i think the me too one of its manifestations is it's a manifestation of of solidarity
0: and 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 that's you know crucial i think and yeah. especially now you know, with the with the me to movement, which needed to happen a long time ago. And finally, you know, people were brave enough to, to address it. And, and, you know, legislation's being created and you're seeing, I think, you know, from it, you know, the, you know, the, you gave the example of the construction conference. You know, the the, all the construction mm-hmm. workers are going. Okay, what we obviously need to have a better understanding, slash, behave better, slash, you name it, um, to to deal with with those things and 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 address them in such a way that will make for a more cohesive work environment. Because it, right now we see in the workplace, you know, we've got you know four generations. Working yes. in many organizations, you've got our baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Y, aka the millennials, and Generation Z, and each one of them have you know different upbringings, backgrounds, experiences, um, how they interact with things, how they've used technology, all of these things. And so when you have all of these different pieces, you're like, know, how do we get all of these to work together? And and it's a situation of just again, going back to what I alluded to earlier, you seek to understand and figure out, okay, what can we do as an organization or what can I do as a leader to support this individual based on what their needs are? And it's more than doable because I'm able to do it in, in the things that I do and have, you know, multiple generations, uh, you know, working. Uh, and it's, it, it in understanding and you notice know, it's, it's the point where you know for those of us that are constantly learning and studying the 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 art form of leadership uh, it, it's learning these techniques and you know, getting an understanding okay the millennials are expecting this and gen Z is expecting this and you know i'm being you know generation X i you know I have obviously a longer history with working with you know my own generation. And of course, you know, the baby boomers were my bosses. So I, you know, I've had a long history of understanding, you know, how to navigate those relationships. But again, it's still, there's, there's always new techniques to learn.
1: Well, I think what you bring up is really important because I think this uh, four generation template that is so common now in organizations has been something that has really helped people understand both value and the imperative of diversity uh, that that what people bring these different generations one of the things they bring often is diverse values and skills and that's an aspect of diversity so um, it's it, it's really that begins to change what is required of leaders um, and particularly because people need to be, since innovation has become the, the mode of survival for so many organizations, um, you need that kind of hearts and minds um, engagement. But one thing you said that I think is really important, you know, has to do with behaviors and skills. Uh, in my view, um, what what is going to get us where we need to be in terms of leadership is number one, awareness, as you say, awareness of what the different kinds of of, of values and capacities that people in an organization bring to the table. So leaders need to have that awareness. And then number two, they need to to know how to act on that awareness and in my view way too much time is spent on this sort of unconscious bias track where you 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 try to identify what people really feel and what they really think and you know how what's important is how they behave and you can you know behaviors are a tool whereas unconscious bias can lead you down a i think sometimes quite a divisive road And, um, and it's, it, it doesn't get you to the focus on behaviors. It seems to me to be kind of a roundabout, uh, and particularly, you know, potentially problematic way of getting to what we need to get to, which is awareness and then, um, understanding what behaviors are effective.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a component of all kinds of different things. And behavior is an element of it. And as, as there's more of a focus in, in legislation and uh, all kinds of other things going on regarding how we act, you know, in in a work environment uh, is uh, is definitely bringing a lot of these things to light, which yeah. again is is long overdue, and um, it doesn't mean that we have to be um, siloed off and don't communicate with people. That's that's not the outcome that we any of us want. We want uh, to you know, collaborate and seek to understand how to engage and work with people and in a way that they feel comfortable. So work can be a safe place for everybody and they don't have to walk around on eggshells going, okay, am I going to say something inappropriate today? Or am I going to do something? As long as you, you know, what, you what is expected of you and, you know, what the environment uh, expects, uh, you can navigate things without much, without much issue. Yeah. you'd also said at the you know at the pre-show that um you, you just you know got back from a pretty exciting trip and <laughs> and, you, and you and you wanted to talk about some you know some observations about you know how women rise from a global perspective so i'd love to hear about your trip and 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 you know some of the lessons you learned while you were away
1: yeah, that's true. I mean, this one of the things that's been—I just got back from Kuala Lumpur, so I was doing a couple of programs for Petronas, which is the big Malaysian energy company there, and for their women. And you know what I had been talking about about the solidarity was very interesting because uh, before one of the programs, I had breakfast with the highest-ranking woman woman in Petronas. She's basically the, oversees all the all the um, offshore. Uh, activity, and uh, and it was really interesting because one of the things she was saying was how you know in the early days she felt she didn't want to get involved with women's leadership. She felt like you know what she contributed, she had a hard enough time um, breaking through, and what she contributed was based on her own talent, etc. And she said how she's just become so active and engaged in helping promote other women that that's become really her her cause within within Patronus. So it was It was an interesting example of that. But what, what has been fascinating to me, because this book, How Women Rise, is really focused on the habits and behaviors that are most likely to get in the way of successful women as they move to a higher level in their career. And what has been astonishing to me is how universal the the habits and behaviors that we note in the book seem to be. When I was, we sold rights, I can't believe some of the places we sold rights, we sold rights in Mongolia and Indonesia, you know, in, in addition to all the, you know, typical expected places in Korea and Japan and um, China and Russia and Israel, etc., um, Portugal. Uh, Brazil. But what what's really been fascinating is how universal a lot of th- these behaviors seem to me. They may have slightly different manifestations. When I was doing a series of programs in Tokyo uh, in the winter, uh, I was there for a couple days and doing some media interviews. And the biggest response that I got to the programs was this, wow we thought only Japanese we thought all of these were Japanese women's um, habits we didn't know that other people in the world had them we thought this was just Japanese and it was really fascinating to me so I think the combination of you know how girls are raised but but also and, and probably even more importantly what organizations expect and reward and how they promote women and have traditionally done in the past. Um, and some of the criticism women fear so much about being perceived of as too ambitious or out for themselves or you know talking too much whatever um, you know th- those things are are very common in the global economy and uh, in both in big global multi or multinational uh, organizations uh, and nonprofits but also in in ones that are more tied to a, a particular region, so it's been fascinating to me to see how universal um, these these habits and behaviors are. And I think that you know it's a source of sort of commonality around the world. People do see um, women in the U.S. as at least they do in most of the world. I'm not sure that they feel this way in Europe, but uh, tend to see women in the U.S. as leading the way here. And uh so they're really interested in perspectives here, but um the 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 way in which these habits and behaviors seem to 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 crop up in extremely different cultures. Marshall and I did a two week tour of india and and we heard the same thing. you know it sounds like this book was written for women in India.
0: It's funny how. You, you, you obviously you commented about the you know how there's so much similarity across the globe when it comes to leadership and patterns and things like that. But e- even in this day with access to you know, internet and being able to observe you know anywhere across the globe without much challenge, that we would find people saying that they were surprised and they thought there was only you know, the Japanese that did this. And it's, I I find that, I find that entertaining. You know, it's like, wow. Okay. Cause you know, we we've gotten to this point with, with the internet and access to everything where we think we know everything. And of course uh, we all know that we're barely scratching the surface on our knowledge of, of leadership and everything else, even though, you know, we could you know do it for 200 years. We wouldn't learn everything there is to learn about it because it's such a you know an interesting and dynamic thing. When you interject people and humans and emotions and clients and patients and customers and governments and everything else under the sun, it, it really creates some interesting dynamics. But that is a that is an interesting observation um, on on how. So I thought, no, we thought it was just us that did that.
1: <laughs> that did that. But, you know, I think the other thing is that the the nature of what constitutes, how our understanding of what constitutes excellence in leadership has been pretty much completely transformed over the last 20 years. And technology is, I believe you know, at the root of it, you know, I hear executives, we're empowering our people to do this. No, actually, the technology is empowering them. And you're just trying to figure out how to catch up and, and make it all work. But, you know, what what we really see is, again, you know, given the shift from individual work to teamwork, uh, to collaborative work to so much of what is, you know, wrote or repeatable being outsourced, Uh, to robots or other technological forms, we really have an environment where, you know, engagement and how we assess performance is changing. You know, you could have, I mean, back in the, back in the nineties, when, you know, Jack Welch was on a cover of fortune magazine every other week, you know, that idea on execution and performance evaluation and, and being very, metrically oriented about it was considered real excellence in leadership. And today, where so much imagination and uh, collaborative skills in making teams work, I mean, everything that Google learned in their Aristotle uh, project about what made for excellence in Google employees, you know, they were all things like emotional intelligence and, um, you know, ability to collaborate, ability to take the lead sometimes, and then step back and follow uh, at other times, and all those things. Because you've got a company that really depends on, on, um, on innovation. So, what they're, you know, what what works now as leaders uh, for leadership those old hierarchical kind of top-down skills that are, uh, you know, focused solely on judgment of performance. You know, when you have an innovative culture, you have to have a lot of failure. And when you're judging everybody on a performance curve, you are inherently and um, punishing any any failures. So it's going to be very tough to innovate. And you know i think some some companies like ge for example have really gone through that and try, and and tried to relearn what excellence and leadership is going to uh, look like in this environment so to me the and this has been i think the the fundamental um, uh, in, source of inspiration and motivation in, in my own career watching the need the, the definition of what constitutes excellence and leadership change at the same time that women have come into the workforce in significant numbers and begun to achieve uh, positions of real influence, authority and leadership, watching what women bring and how organizations are changing and need to change and sort of how that unlocks. Is, is quite extraordinary because I do believe that if women had come in to organizations when we were at the, you know, when the, the hierarchical model was still pretty much unquestioned, uh, that it, you know, the outcomes would have been different and we would have had less opportunity to influence the course of how leadership um, is done. And, uh, and it would have been harder, and there would have been more you know, penalty for not adapting to the old model.
0: Yeah, and then the best way to wrap it up, and, and, and pardon the pun here, is uh-huh. you know, what got you here won't get you there. Exactly. And it's so true, and it's, um, and I'm seeing more and more agile organizations yeah. embracing failure. And in doing it in a way because you're figuring out what, what needs to get done and you're creating an environment where as leadership we say, okay, this is the outcome that we want. Then get the heck out of the way and let those people creatively figure out how to get it done. Be there if they need you for guidance and, and direction and check-ins. But if you step out of the way and let people be creative, you'll have an environment that is engaged you'll have less turnover, you'll have better products and services and society benefits from that.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Sally, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and the awesome stuff you're doing?
1: Well, uh, visit my website, sally at Sallyhelgeson.com. It's got a list of all my books, How Women Rise is the 7th, and also the programs that, uh, that I deliver. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I really love LinkedIn. That's, that's, um, that's where I'm active. Um, and uh, um, there, my website also has a contact button in case you're interested. So you can reach out to me directly. I'm pretty accessible.
0: That's great, and I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So Sally, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you and and the awesome work that you're doing uh, to make a huge impact uh, on leadership, you know for for every gender and every race and and every every human being. It's making organizations in our world much better.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thank you. It was wonderful being here.
0: My pleasure. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get us a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.